it's a really interesting time and it's an interesting space. There are a lot of tech leaders who are very aggressively pushing open sourcing of all this stuff and getting the AI in the hands of the users. And their belief is that society will figure it all out on its own, that it's better that you democratize access to this power and let the people figure out where the limits are rather than allowing a few select tech companies to keep the guardrails in place. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 26 of the Marketing AI Show. I am your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Caput, who is the Chief Content Officer at Marketing Institute and my co-author for the book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing in the Future of Business, which is available now in print, digital, and audio. What's up, Mike? Not much. How's it going? Well, <laughs> I, don't know, I feel like we have a lot to follow on after our episode last week. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, go back and, and listen to that. It was it was a pretty wild episode. We've actually heard from quite a few people who listened to that one who had their minds blown by everything that was going on in AI. Um, yeah, if like us, you kind of took a couple of weeks away from talking about it, a lot happened. And um this week, I wouldn't say we have quite the level of uh, AI announcements. Uh, we did today have uh, the, the announcement by the U.S. Department of Energy, I think, on nuclear fusion, which is a pretty big deal, <laughs> a little yeah. outside of our area of expertise on this show. But uh, that, I think, qualifies as groundbreaking news for the week. Uh, yeah, someone tweeted about saying something to the effect of, it's possible in 2023 we'll have the beginnings of artificial general intelligence and nuclear fusion that's viable. And they were like, what a time to be yeah. alive. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> Just like the most transformative things in history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we got, got a bit covered today. This episode is brought to you again by our Piloting AI for Marketers online course series, which may have launched by the time you're listening to this. It's coming out on Thursday, December 15th. So Mike and I are recording this episode on Tuesday, December 13th. Uh, they usually go live the day after we record it. So the new Piloting AI series is something Mike and I have been working on uh, intently for a few months, but realistically, probably a decade. So it's sort of combining everything we've learned about artificial intelligence. It's taking the book as sort of a jumping off point and really expanding much beyond that with some original thoughts and frameworks and a lot of updated content around everything that's happening with generative AI. So if you're at the point where you're really trying to figure out how to uh, pilot AI and, and infuse it into your career and your organization in 2023, definitely check that out. There's 17 courses. We came in at about eight hours of, of total learning time. Now you can obviously go to you know one and a half times or whatever speed and get through them a little quicker, but it is it is a lot. Um, but it's, you know, having gone through it, Mike, I know you did 10 courses on like intro to different categories. I did seven courses on use case, problem-based, state of the industry, all these other things. It was a really cool process to go through. I mean, there's so much happening. And I think even since we published the book in June, I feel like so much had happened that as I was creating my courses, it was like, I'm so glad we did this. <laughs> like this yeah. 
it helped me sort of wrap my own head around what was going on and what needed to happen. So um, pilotingai.com, if you're interested in those courses, they're going to be available on demand. You can have access to everything as soon as it goes live. There's uh, content downloads. There's an exam at the end so you can earn a professional certificate from the Institute for doing it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Mike and I probably probably schedule some stuff with different cohorts of the groups, um, that go through it and do some live stuff and do some AMAs and things like that. But, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. It is again, pilotingai.com. You can learn all about that new series. And with that, Mike, I'll turn it over to you for our three big topics. If you're new to this format, Mike and I, each week, we try and pick three topics to talk about, uh, and we kind of run through them, try and do about a half hour last week. We doubled that without knowing it. Um, but yeah, about, about 30 minutes or so, we try and keep it too. So uh, probably about five to seven minutes per topic. And then we end with a rapid fire. We've got time. Awesome. Well, yeah, we've got, um, you know, I don't know what a normal week looks like anymore in AI. So I don't know if this is light or, or a heavy week or whatever. It's just the game has changed so much. But first up, we have something that is taking the wider world by storm. There's an app called Lensa AI, and this is a hugely popular app that allows you to upload photos of yourself, um, about 10 or 20 selfies. Then it uses AI to generate dozens of different avatar photos of you in many different styles. So some are serious and realistic, some are fantastical. And from what I've read recently, this app launched a couple weeks ago, Max, it's been generating a million bucks or more in revenue per day as basically anyone and everyone that I uh, interact with online has commented on it, used it, even people that had no interest in artificial intelligence as far as I could tell. And so it's really this interesting example of a massively popular app that's sort of broken containment, so to speak, outside the walls of, of, you know, people that follow AI. Now everyone is asking about these AI avatars. And there's been a ton of controversy around it, too, because in some cases, the app has made some problematic changes to people's body types, skin colors. There's been some high profile cases of kind of needlessly, you know, sexualizing images of women in particular. Um, and it also seems that Lenza may be using your personal photos to further train the product. So there's kind of an extensive but murky privacy policy related to it. Um, not to mention the app itself relies on stable diffusion, which is an immensely popular deep learning model trained on images online. And in some cases, artists have complained that that model has kind of illegally duplicated the look and style of their work because it was trained on images online and artists had no say if whether or not their art was used to train it. So there's this kind of massively popular AI photo app that actually touches on all these other really important issues kind of related to artificial intelligence. So Paul, in your opinion, kind of why is Lenza such a big deal? I mean, like anything, like what happened with Dolly when it became readily available, like we saw with Chat GPT, it's accessible. It's easy to use. It's no code. Like anyone can experience the AI, and it seems like magic when you do it. And so I think that there's going to be an explosion of these tools that are using AI to do creative things that have some value to people, whether it's creating images of themselves that they can share on social as a value. Um, 
you know, giving them a chance to experience the technology, whatever the, the, the value is to the end user, I think you're going to see an explosion of these creative applications of artificial intelligence. And I think that's why it's just something that be, it's easily shared, um, you know, and so I think you see that application. But like we saw at ChatGPT, like I had people asking me about that at like dad's basketball night. Like I had people coming up to me who've never talked to me about AI. I didn't even know, knew I did anything with AI but they follow what we're talking about in some cases. And so people are coming up all the time and asking me these things. I'm getting text messages from people who've never cared an ounce about AI, who now all of a sudden are seeing it for themselves and like, oh my gosh, like that mind-blowing moment. And I, again, it goes back to this, it feels like magic. It's, it's a trick you can show your friends. You post it on you know, social media and it's something fun and different. And so I think it's just because it's so accessible. And in many cases, free or low cost, no code. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's my, my general perception. I haven't used it, but I think, you know, it, in some ways it's, it's representative of how far we need to go in society to understand AI. And I don't even know that we're ever going to get there. So I, this is a more like a pie in the sky idea for me is like, somebody sees this stuff and immediately you just jump in and upload your photos and or give mm. them access to Instagram or whatever. Like it's just, oh, awesome. I'm going to output these cool things too. When you and I see something like this, my first reaction is, well, how are they using the training set? Like what, what are they going to do with my photos? That's my first reaction. Anytime I give any AI, well, anything, any data set. Um, First thing I think about was social media feeds and how they're learning from behaviors. I, th you know, I think about it in anything we do where I know AI is present. How are they using what I'm doing to train the data? And I, I don't think the vast majority of society would ever think about that question. And so you have a tool like this where just people just race in and give them whatever they're asking for. And then after the fact, like, oh, wait, like maybe it's training. I mean, that's Kathy mm. did a great job in her article of sort of summarizing Hey, but Kathy knew going in, she did it knowing that like, it's like, okay, let me go test it. But let me also call out like potential privacy concerns. And you make that evaluation like, okay, whatever. It's going to get 20 of my photos. Like it's not the end of the world. I could probably scrape that offline anyway. Um, but again, I think just helping people have a greater understanding of how this stuff works and learns and how the things you create and what you input into it is used in a training uh, case. Then you get into this other realm you were talking about, about, okay, if enough people have done this and we know it's outputting, um, you know, questionable content or mm. things that have bias in them or uh, demean certain, um, you know, demographic or geographic background, whatever, like that, that, that's a massive issue too. And I think the other thing we're going to see with all of these is there's just a race to release things right now, just to mm -hmm. ship products. And again, the big companies like Google can't do it, but these, all these other little companies are going to spin out and just start releasing crazy stuff. That's going to have all these inherent flaws and biases in it. And I, I don't want to become numb as a society to it, but it sure feels like that's the direction we're heading is a bit of a numbness toward privacy concerns and, um, you know, invasion of privacy stuff. So. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point too, maybe for some of the listeners that are just starting to discover this technology, thanks to things like Lenza is 
you would think like, well, aren't there a ton of rules and laws around this? Why are they able to do it? And it's like, well, no, there's <laughs> not yet. I mean, there's not anything that is dramatically overreaching in my experience that would prevent anyone from doing what Lensa AI is doing. And to your point, if they can, they will. And we've talked about that idea in the marketplaces. This stuff is moving so fast and people are releasing things so fast that there's not a lot of guardrails outside of personal preference, I suppose, in terms of the founders and the people releasing the technology. Yeah. And I, I just don't, like you said, I don't see them coming. Like there, I don't know how, I don't know how the government keep up with where this is going and how quickly it's going. Like I put something on LinkedIn earlier this week around, or maybe it was in Alaska around education. Like I feel this way about education at all levels, grade school, high school, college, doesn't matter. There's no way to keep up with what AI is enabling, but, mm. but it, it, you know, from an education perspective, you have to at least start asking the hard questions around what is this tech? How's it going to affect us? How's it going to affect the way, you know, you know, people learn and the experiences they have in and out of classrooms. And I feel like government needs to be asking a lot of questions, but I, I just don't know how they keep up. Like, I don't know that there's enough people within government that even understand what's happening, um, to really do that much about it. But then we're in a situation where we're relying on the tech companies who obviously have incentive to not have a bunch of guardrails um, to self-police. And I don't, I don't see that getting, getting us there either. So it's a really interesting time. And it's an interesting space. There are a lot of tech leaders who are very aggressively pushing open sourcing of all this stuff and getting the AI in the hands of the users. And their belief is that society will figure it all out on its own, that it's better that you democratize access to this power and let the people figure out where the limits are rather than allowing a few select tech companies to keep the guardrails in place or the government. So I, I don't know how you put it back in the box, I guess is what I'm saying. I think we're, I think the future is rapid advancement in capabilities, rapid deployment through open source technology. And for better or for worse, the reliance on humanity to figure out where the guardrails are um, and how we handle this capability because it's only going to get more powerful. Those are some great thoughts. That's a great way to put it. Um, I like that a lot. And in terms of kind of figuring out how to figure all of this out, you know, our second topic to cover today is that, you know, there's some of the bigger consulting firms out there and companies that do research are actively looking into artificial intelligence adoption across uh, businesses. So McKinsey actually for five years now has been conducting its global survey on AI and they survey thousands of business leaders on how they use artificial intelligence. And this year's findings are now actually out in the state of AI in 2022 article or um, summary that they put out. And there's a ton to unpack in that, so it's definitely worth checking out the show notes and the link, but three big things really jumped out at me, and I know you've got a lot of thoughts on connecting the dots here, but first, um, they found over the last five years of data that they've collected that AI adoption has more than doubled in the last five years based on these self-reported findings. Um, they also found that the average number of AI capabilities being used by organizations uh, like natural language generation, computer vision, those have also doubled. And that natural language text understanding has become one of the 
more leading AI applications being used. Now, in addition to that, they're also seeing AI investment increase. And what's really interesting is aside from the increases year over year, uh, today, the biggest reported revenue impacts from AI investments um, in what area of the business is now actually in marketing and sales, which is really interesting to see. And that's compared to areas that were not related to that at all um, back in 2018, things like manufacturing and risk management were kind of the bigger applications where companies were using AI to actually achieve revenue increases. And then last but not least, kind of what really jumped out at me as well is that when it comes to gaining more AI talent, they found that the most popular strategy among respondents was actually reskilling their existing employees, given how difficult it can be to source AI talent. Now, this is across both, you know, um, computer programmers, data scientists, machine learning engineers, more building the technology, but it's also related to analysts to AI product managers uh, and business analysts who are working on these projects. So, and the most common approaches there are actually things like self-directed online courses and certifications, which we just talked about and I thought was really fascinating. I mean, what were your kind of initial thoughts on the findings McKinsey put together? So, yeah, I mean, McKinsey is obviously one we followed for a long time. Anybody who's attended like our intro to AI for marketers class or really heard me give any keynotes on the topic will often cite the McKinsey Global Institute study from 2018 that looked at the nine business functions, including supply chain, marketing and sales ops, and compared um, like the, the growth potential where the value creation was going to come from. And even in then... Uh, they found marketing and sales to actually be the largest value potential area. So I, I think the, I don't, know, I don't know that it's discouraging, but you know, you talked about that it, adoption has doubled since 2017, but it also has largely plateaued over mm -hmm. the last three years. So it's kind of been resting like right around like 50% or something of the people they survey. And I think they surveyed around 1500 executives. I'm assuming it's mostly large enterprises. I, I glanced at the um, methodology, it didn't say the size of company, but I, I'm assuming it's like billion dollar plus mostly companies based on McKinsey's uh, history. So, you know, I think there has been a bit of a plateauing. You know, we've talked, I, I think I've talked on the podcast before about the Fermi paradox and how I felt that way with AI of all these years. So again, quick recap, Fermi paradox is, um, you know, Fermi looks into the sky hundreds of years ago, says, where is all the intelligent life? Um, so we have this vast universe, and yet there's there's no intelligent life that we're aware of out there. It's a paradox. Um, I've always felt that way with AI. It's like, it seems like it should just be everywhere. Like, you look at what AI is capable of doing, you look at intelligent automation, you look at improving personalization, you look at improved and enhanced decision-making and creativity and predictive capabilities and all these ways you can reduce costs and accelerate revenue. It seems like well, obviously everybody should be doing AI. And yet we look around and we try and find CMOs who understand it and brands who get it and are willing to talk about it. And we couldn't, like for years, we struggled to find case studies. And I was, it was always kind of frustrating to me and I couldn't figure out why. And then I, you know, a lot of different things kind of came to light in the last few years as to why that was happening previously. And so I think in general, um, I'm not surprised that it's plateaued. I do think that that is going to change in 2023. So mm -hmm. I think what we have experienced with generative AI 
and the accessibility of the technology, the simplifying of use cases, uh, the movement toward you know no code, less training data, all of these things that are making AI way more accessible now, I could see that dramatically increasing to where it goes from like 50% and maybe it jumps 10 full points next year or something. I could you know, really see it jumping. Um, so I think there's going to be an acceleration of it. The, um, the reskilling part jumped out to me as you had highlighted, because I don't know what the other option is, honestly. Like if you think about the building and integration of artificial intelligence historically has been a technical endeavor. Like you've needed AI researchers and machine learning engineers and people who can build things. What we need now is people who understand what the technology is and how to apply it for business cases. Mm. So we don't necessarily need to go hire 20 AI researchers or 50 machine learning engineers if you're a brand in any industry, retail, manufacturing, insurance, financial services, doesn't matter. What you need are marketers and ops people and business leaders who can be trained in what AI is and what it's capable of doing, like figure out what predictions need to be made and tell the machines to make those predictions and then know what to do with the predictions. So I think that there needs to be a massive uh, reskilling of the workforce very quickly because there are going to be some roles and specifically tasks within roles that are going to be obsoleted very, very fast. And so there's an opportunity to reskill people. Now, uh, as we know, universities aren't going to shift fast enough to do it. Hmm. Uh, in our own research with Drift, we do the state of marketing every year. We know it's not happening internally. I think it's like what 13% of companies have any sort of internal AI training. We ask about what are the barriers to adoption two years in a row, lack of education and training has been the number one answer. Uh, 63%, I think of people said this year that that was the main issue. And that's, that's a big part of the reason why we built the piloting AI for marketers series is like, we know that people need it and there's nowhere to go for it. So our feeling was, well, let's build a step-by-step -step journey to get people there. So I think, uh, so one, I think it's going to accelerate the adoption number is going to jump. The reskilling is essential and, and we have to do it. And then they get into um, looking at what they call, was it high performers? I think, yes. whatever they call their classification. Yeah. So they get into what, like what separates the companies that are seeing the disproportionate value creation from AI. And I, I liked the chart. So there's an exhibit and again, the link will be in the show notes. You can check this out. Um, but it says organizations seeing the highest returns may are, are more likely to follow strategy, data, models, tools, tech, and talent best practices. And in strategy, the number one indicator is have a roadmap that clearly prioritizes AI initiatives linked to business value across the organization. Seems obvious. And yet find me one that has that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, think of if you're listening to this, think about your own organization and say, is that true? Do we have that? Chances are no. And you probably don't even have anybody internally who can build it. That's, that to me is like the biggest fundamental issue right now is the, the, then you go to number two, have an AI strategy that is aligned with the broader corporate strategy and goals. Senior management is fully aligned and committed to organization's AI strategy. Next is have a clearly defined AI vision and strategy. Like just take those, those are that four and like ask yourself as a listener, like, do you, do you have any idea how to even get to those four things? Like chances are no, like. If you're talking to Fortune 500, sure. Like they maybe have hundreds of AI people on staff, AI engineers, researchers, ML engineers, whatever. Um, they can get there. They have CIOs, they have chief digital officers, chief data officers, they got everything. But if you're a middle market company and you have no one on staff that has AI or ML in their title, chances are you have no clue how to get to those four things. 
And so that to me is the major um, obstacle in 2023 and beyond is you have the, this critical need to understand AI and build a roadmap for the next few years. And we have a lack of business talent, not technical talent. We have a lack of business talent who get that and know what to do about it. And so that's, you know, we've alluded to this before with, with the Institute and some of the work we're looking to do more in the consulting realm is there's just no answers. There's nowhere to go for this. And so we see almost like a necessity to build um, solutions to help organizations figure this stuff out because I, we talk to them all the time. They don't have a clue. And again, I have, I have lots of CEO friends, lots of friends in VC and private equity, and nobody knows what to do. So that was, that was my main takeaway is like, it kind of looks like the previous year's report, like not a, not a hell of a lot is different in terms of the findings. The numbers moved a little bit here or there, but the overall takeaways are about the same. But I feel like the end of 2023 is a very transformational period where all of a sudden all these corporations are going to figure out that they need to understand and apply this stuff. And we're going to see a lot of change in this, these numbers and hopefully in their findings come fall of 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And you actually um, have the honor of being the focus of our third topic this week because you actually highlighted very recently on LinkedIn uh, and on Twitter, how software companies need to actually have a concrete plan for considering how AI will enhance and disrupt their business. And I haven't checked the post in the last hour or so, but I know that you've gotten a ton of comments and really interesting conversation on LinkedIn specifically about this idea that specifically you mentioned that, quote, if I was running a software company right now, I would be aggressively exploring how recent advancements in AI and the ones that are coming in 2023 could disrupt the business. Now, you give some tips in the post as well that we can walk through. But first off, I wanted to know, why are you writing this now or why is this <laughs> on your mind now? Listen, we talk to lots of SaaS companies, friends who run SaaS companies. We have partners of ours for the Institute that are SaaS companies. Um, you know, I built my agency around SaaS companies. So we've lived in that world for, you know, I started my agency in what, 05. And by 2013 or 14, like 80% of our portfolio were SaaS companies. Like most of the work I did in the teens was for SaaS companies. So we've kind of been through a lot. We've seen a lot of cycles with SaaS. And the more I look at existing SaaS in our tech stack, so you think about the companies we use as the institute to do what we do as a media event and education company. Um, if you think about the different software that we're being exposed to and the things we're learning about with generative AI and how transformative those could be. Again, if you just go back to last week's episode and you listen to the things we were saying, and then you have that lens when you're looking at software that we use as, a, as an institute today, it's all I can think about is like, wow, they're, they're in a tough spot. Like so many of the software uh, applications that we use, I could tell you how to build a smarter version of them right now. Like, hmm. I mean, you and I do it all the time. Like there's all these manual repetitive processes in every workflow that we have to do our marketing, our sales, our service, our operations. And so you just think about all the software we use. I mean, we're a five person company and we probably have but 25 or 30 SaaS products that we use to run our company in all these different areas. And I would say 
I don't know, like 10 to 20% of them are legit AI technology. So we have all of this legacy software that's running our company that's about AI. Like we have an AI company being run by legacy software that has no intelligence in it. And so I, I think part of it is from just a constant awareness. And then as we were building the piloting AI courses, it became very top of mind for me. I was thinking a lot about that. And then just a number of recent conversations, because I also get into like VCs and private equity and angel investors. Um, I have a lot of friends who are angel investors. I have friends who run venture funds. I have friends in this space. And then we follow a lot of like, you know, the VC world on Twitter. Like I, you know, kind of keep close tabs on what's going on there. And I know a lot of these people invested heavily in SaaS, uh, rightfully so. I mean, it has been the place you made money the last decade. Um, and I've told of, you know, different people uh, in conversations like, hey, heads up, like as a friend, I'm telling you, take stock of your SaaS portfolio. Whatever SaaS you're invested in, make sure they know what the hell is happening because like 2023 is different and mm -hmm. they, need to, they need to have a plan. And so after having said this so many different times in private conversations, I was like, I, I, this needs to be said out loud. <laughs> like, If you run a SaaS company or if you invest in SaaS companies, I really, and I, I've said it in different talks, like, I don't know how you have a business in three years if, you're, if your product isn't infused with AI. So someone is going to come along and build a smarter version of whatever it is you do. I don't care what your software does. And I don't care if it's a point solution or a platform. The AI that we're seeing now and what we're going to see next year is going to enable a lot of different people with the vision to build smarter software to come in and take your market share. And so I think it was just one of those like spur of the moment. I mean, literally, I was typing that on my phone. Like I was, we were waiting to go to dinner last night or something. And it was like, I had this thought and, and I was like typing it out on LinkedIn and told my family, hold on a minute, got to get this thought out of my head. So yeah, it wasn't anything like I sat around and set an editorial calendar and said, okay, on December 12th, I'm going to publish this thing about SaaS companies. Uh, it was just a collection of a bunch of conversations and current events that sort of led me to be like, okay, I, I just got to put this out there. Kind of like I did with the education thing last week. It's just, yeah, I don't know, sometimes you just have these thoughts and like dots connect in your head and you just want to say something. So yeah, but it's not just software. I mean, that's a number of comments called out. Like we're it's universal with software in particular. Like it's just mm -hmm. so critical. So I guess one point I wanted to add here or ask about is that, you know, as part of your post, you had mentioned that SaaS businesses may not be able to handle the speed of AI advancements coming next year. So why do you think that is? I mean, it would strike me that some of these companies should be on the bleeding edge of what is technologically possible. I realize a lot of advancements have come out of nowhere almost uh, in the world of AI, it seems, on how fast they've moved. But why have they been caught flat-footed? I don't think most executives understand AI, and I don't think the investors who have enabled them to build to the point they're at and understand AI. I, I just think understanding of AI is so limited across mm -hmm. the business world right now that they just didn't see it coming. Like, you know, and, and, and part of it is they're, a lot of these SaaS products are great. The companies are great. They're run by phenomenal, brilliant people. And AI just wasn't their thing. Like mm -hmm. it, maybe it just seemed like to them too sci-fi or too abstract or just not a huge priority. And 
I mean, you can, it's not hard, like take publicly traded companies, go get their earnings reports. How many times they mention AI in the last two years? Um, go to LinkedIn sales navigator. I think I've mentioned this kind of hack before, like go on LinkedIn sales navigator and just run a keyword search for job titles of how many AI and ML employees they have in the company. And if you're talking about software companies with hundreds or thousands of employees and they have like two or 10 AI ML people, there's a really good chance that they don't value AI enough yet. And I, I think that's going to change, but, um, I mean, we've watched, I've been, I've never published this data. I've been running these numbers every month for the last like year of the number of AI ML people at these different companies and trying to monitor and see if there was a change. If, if we hit an inflection point where all of a sudden you would start to see this increase across different industries or companies. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just three years ago. I, I could have heard an argument that we weren't at a point where you could truly commercialize artificial intelligence yet. We hadn't had the major breakthroughs in language and vision capabilities that are enabling what we're seeing right now with generative AI. And so I guess you could say, you know, people were kind of busy trying to figure out the pandemic along the way and yep. trying to deal with the economy. And it's not like CEOs had nothing else to think about for the last three years. But if you took the last three years to just survive and kind of figure out where the next round of funding was coming from or how to avoid layoffs, then you were doing important work, but you may have in the process, if you didn't have the right people on your team, missed what was happening with AI. And now you got to play catch up real fast. Yeah. I mean, it's for anyone listening, please go read the entire post because the comment section, especially you're going to realize how, how common this is happening across different industries, different types of businesses. And I think we're seeing a lot of people wake up to what you just talked about. Are you ready for a couple quick rapid fires before yeah. we wrap up here? All right. Let's do it. First up, so a company called Cohere, which is one of the top uh, kind of AI outfits in the world, um, has some of the bigger names in AI behind it. They just released a multilingual language model that is one of the um, most accurate in terms of being able to work with over 100 different languages in terms of producing accurate language results across those languages. And there's three areas that the model is being tested out as being possible use cases for. So there's semantic search, so multilingual semantic search that improves the quality of search results across all these different languages. Again, I think it's more than 100. Um, aggregating customer feedback, so you can actually organize customer feedback across hundreds of languages. And then there's also cross-lingual content moderation. So you can actually identify harmful content uh, in hundreds of other languages. Now, I think it's still early days for the model, but I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this, just given how quickly we went from having on our end, you know, models that work in our native language astonishingly well to suddenly, oh my gosh, a hundred plus languages may now have these incredible capabilities too. It's a huge growth area. And obviously if you're a, you know, international, uh, organization, this stuff's going to be super relevant to you. There are a number of big players. Most of the AI research labs are working on rapid advancements and multilingual, like Meta does a ton of stuff with this. And I know they've had some breakthroughs in 2022. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Cohere. I think that it's a company to watch for sure. Uh, it was had support of Jeff Hinton, um, you know, who was the kind of the guy who coined the phrase deep learning back in 2011, 2012. Um, 
so I, I would be paying very close attention to anything Cohere does. They're very legit company. I have zero inside knowledge, but I would imagine like Google and other companies are going to be, you know, tripping over themselves to maybe acquire Cohere if Cohere wants to be acquired in the, in the future. Um, I know one of their co-founders actually came out of Google Brain, um, Aiden Gomez. So he was at, he did a student researcher, Google Brain team and um, Hinton's company in 2012 got acquired by Google. So there's like some history there. That was part of the reason I think that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just again, these are so many of the things I think we try and present on this weekly is the stuff to keep an eye on in the future. Like sometimes we'll give you just go try Lenza or go try Dolly or go do chat GPT and you can go do the thing today. Other times we're giving you stuff to help you connect the dots because you start to recognize trends and patterns in the innovation that's happening. Multilingual and multimodal are two of like the, the bigger things to think about. Um, multimodal being, you know, video, uh, language, like written text, spoken text, like the ability to like different modes. Um, so yeah, I mean, multilingual is a huge area. Pay attention, pay attention to here, pay attention to innovations in multilingual. And so speaking of languages, I mean, I, I, we are also seeing another massive release from DeepMind, uh, a tool called Alpha Code. And the languages we're talking about here are programming languages because Alpha Code is actually an AI system that can produce computer programs and it can do it at a competitive level. So Alpha Code actually achieved, they estimated the rank was within the top 54% of participants in programming competitions. So machine is actually competing within the top 54%, you know, on the day of release of participants at solving uh, new coding problems, essentially the same types of challenges and interviews and problems you would be solving either to get hired as a programmer to contribute to a project as a programmer or to solve a challenge at your company if you're a programmer. So there, you know, DeepMind is very clear that this is not replacing everyone who does computer programming, but it is pretty astonishing we're at a point where it can already do this level of coding work on its own um, this quickly. Yeah, this was one that when I saw it, I, I know I tweeted something about it and I think I actually sent it to a couple of friends because when chat GPT comes out, you and I are writer, we can go in and assess it. Like I can go in and be like, oh man, this is going to change things in five minutes. I'm not a coder. I can't go in and test this and realize it. I can just look and say, oh, science is publishing this paper hmm. and Demis thinks it's a huge deal. And Jan LeCun's retweeting it from Meta's research lab. So we, I, I actually rely more on the AI network I follow for the context of how big of a deal is this? Yep. And this actually played into me putting that software post on LinkedIn because I look at this and I think, okay, let's say I run a software company and I have 500 employees and 60% of them are developers, like writing code or whatever. Do I need them? Mm -hmm. Like, does this, is this like a year out there? It's going to change things. Cause I also saw with chat GPT, people were using it to write code and they were hacking it to be able to function as that. And I, from what I was hearing, it was doing really well. Yeah. And so if you say, okay, so chat GPT can be used to write code. Uh, this alpha code thing seems to be getting really good at writing code. Meta did some stuff 
And you start to, okay, this is one of the themes of investment where they're doing R&D. And it sure seems like they're already made, making major advancements. And again, if I run a software company 12 months from now, am I going to see a leap forward? And is it going to change the dynamic of my hiring, my, my entire HR system? I have no idea what the answer to that is, but it sure seems like it's something I would be wanting to ask right now. If I was running a big software company or if I was building um, things, I would probably want to be understanding is AI going to be able to do some of what my people do or at least make my team more efficient. I'm not saying I have to get rid of parts of my team, but can I double our production next year? Can I ship twice as many features mm -hmm. because I can use new AI coding capabilities to increase our productivity and our output. Again, I have no idea, but I, it sure seems like it's a question worth asking if you build software for a living. Yeah. And I think additionally with that, not only building the software, but who does the software serve, right? So you mentioned we have all this um, legacy technology and it's like, well, why aren't the SaaS tools we're using functioning this way? for marketers, right? You know, why, why don't we have more co-pilots in the existing tools we already have that are powered by AI? That would be right. an immediate place. I would be looking to create value, whether, I mean, whether it's in analytics, writing, advertising, what have you, we have tools that do all these things, but do any of our existing platforms really enable that kind of 10X or 100X productivity gain that some of the coders may be getting in the near future? Right. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. The last topic here is Runway ML, which we talk about pretty frequently. They just raised a massive amount of funding uh, at a $500 million valuation. But what's fun and um, astonishing about Runway ML is how quickly they appear to release new features. They come out, it seems like, with a new feature, a new product once every week or two. And the most recent one, they're a suite of all these different products that are helping you create and edit content. Uh, the most recent one is called Backdrop Remix, where you can give any photo infinite backgrounds, which means I could take a picture of, say, a product that we're selling or something I want for a marketing campaign or a piece of collateral, and then tell it to put in multiple different backgrounds just generated from scratch based on whatever I would like to see. So if I don't want to see it in a living room, I want to see the product, say, in a garden or outside or what have you, it's very simple to just swap that out and create hundreds of variations of that type of photo uh, in seconds. Paul, what did you think of this when you saw it? I haven't tried that one yet, but I do. I think I've mentioned Runway before. Um, I'm a huge fan. We, they're not a sponsor of ours. So this is just me as a you know customer, a user. Uh, I love it. I mean, I created an infinite image example. I might've talked about that last week for our piloting AI series. So they have, I, I don't know, about 30 or so pre-trained, whatever they call them, applications, features, tools, I think is what they call them in their mm. AI magic tools. And they're they're like stupid, easy to use. Like any, anybody can go in. You don't have to be a designer, a videographer, anything to go in and, and do these things. And I think that's what I love about it. I'm pretty sure the pro license is like 12 bucks a month, something mm -hmm. like that. If you pay annually. So I think I paid 144 bucks, got a, you know, one year subscription and, uh, just go and play around and they do, they, I mean, they've dropped like five new tools in the last three weeks, I feel like. And it's definitely one of those like ship it cultures. They have a Lenza like app where you can go in and train it yourself. They have an AI, they just introduced an AI training capability 
where you train it on your own data sets. And then mm -hmm. it has the ability to infuse those into, I think like if I wanted to train, train it on say my face and then build an infinite image on my face, I could do that. I could train it and then pull that image into the infinite image. And it's just really smart stuff. And so they're a company that I would just pay attention to pay a few bucks, give it a try you know, test it out for yourself. It's just a phenomenal way to experience AI. And anytime you get to experience a tool like that, you just develop a deeper understanding of what's possible. And then, I mean, the thing I say in the course, uh, after I build the show how to build the infinite image is that your imagination is your only limitation. Like that's the way I feel about AI right now is it's anything is becoming possible. It's just understand what it is and what it's capable of. And then it's just whatever you can imagine building or, or creating or producing it seems like you can, or you will be able to. That is a great place. I think for us to end it here, that is really empowering. And I think people can also realize these tools can be incredible examples for your leadership team, for your CEO, for the people that you're trying to talk to and convince that might not exactly get it. So Paul, thanks again, as always for awesome insights into the world of AI. I am sure as we speak, uh, the brief for next week's show is already getting overpopulated here <laughs> yeah it is it's wild maybe we'll do yeah we'll probably drop one next week because then we're heading into the christmas holiday um so yeah we'll we'll drop one i and i think when we're going to be between we'll, we'll try and keep on schedule so for our regular <laughs> listeners which increasingly we're hearing from and thank you again if you reach out we love hearing feedback um i think we'll try and uh try and stay on schedule through the holidays uh, it's fun to do and I feel like if we wait until early January, no, we're going to have a three hour episode <laughs> to play catch up. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Thank, thanks again for joining us. Reach out. We love hearing from you. Be sure to um, subscribe that we do uh, not only publish these on podcast networks, but it is on YouTube. So if you ever want to you know, watch it on YouTube or check it out there, um, you can also go get, get it from there. And then the latest episodes are always uh, added to our blog as well. So subscribe to the Institute newsletter. And then again, if, if you're ready to figure out all this stuff and what it means to your career and your business, check out that piloting app for marketer series. If you have any questions, Kathy from our team is usually active on the chat there. It's actual humans, not chat GPT. Um, <laughs> you can, you can actually interact with a, a human, um, during normal business hours and even after sometimes. Uh, so yeah, reach out and have, ask us any questions you'd like. And other than that, um, until next week, we'll talk to you then and, uh, have a great week. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to The Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.